Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I am your host, Ted Harrington, and with me here today is our special guest, David Cross. David is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Oracle SaaS. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks, Ted. It's a lot of fun to be here. Yeah, totally. So let's let's dive into a topic area that I know is near and dear to your heart and one that I think is really important and relevant across all of cybersecurity, which is the role of veterans in our industry. So you're a veteran. You you know, you got into cybersecurity after serving in the ways that you did serve. What would you say is the the first thing that we should be talking about here in, in this issue? Like how should we be thinking about veterans in the workforce for cybersecurity? Well, certainly I admit I'm biased as being a veteran myself, right? But I think as when we look at the overall market, right, and the needs and shortage of, of cybersecurity talent, right, in the same time, certainly here, especially in the United States and many other parts of the world as well, there's enormous number of veterans that are coming on the market that have served their country that are looking for new opportunities. And for us, we're looking to fill these gaps with cybersecurity professionals. And one of the things was look at the veterans. And the veterans are people that they have common values, right? They have honesty, integrity, due diligence, right? Know how to operate under fire, no pun intended, you know, and can really dig in and learn and are passionate about their work and very committed and loyal to their work. And so that's the type of people that if we have to bring in newcomers into the field, we can train them, grow them, and really build up this talent pool that is we're struggling with around the world. Yeah, that, that's really interesting thinking about the types of attributes that would either attract someone to serve their country or that they develop while serving their country and how those directly apply. I mean, really, those principles you described probably any field, but definitely you need those in security. So is there a, a gap or a deficiency that you see in terms of how we're connecting those two dots? And we have this enormous number of positions that are vacant in security. And we have veterans who might want to fill those positions. Is there an issue connecting those two? I think there is. And I think this is one of the reasons I'm excited to talk about it. And many companies are starting to reach out and help. What I mean by that is many people who've not been a veteran or served in the military themselves, they don't have a natural connection, you know, of the civilian versus military. It's because they see they're kind of stereotyping all military people to be the same way and saying, well, how could that fit in? How could they adapt to a civilian job? And that's a complete misunderstanding. And part of it, like many companies are trying to do, I'll say, like Oracle, which I'm a part of and very proud of the program we have here, which we have, it's called Maven. And it allows us 
to making those connections for many other business leaders that may not have that natural understanding and connection to veterans. It's easy for myself. I've come from the service, but what about someone that's never had a connection with anyone, their family or friends in the military? How do they understand what the talent pool that is out there and the, the, the attributes they have that may impact their business in a positive way? Do you think that veterans themselves see this opportunity? You know, after serving, they're now looking to transition into a different type of career. Do they know? Like, are, are we doing a good enough job advertising to that community that, hey, there's great career opportunities for you here? Great question. I think this is one of the things that we're working with the Assistant Deputy Secretary of Labor and things like that to help veterans when they go through their departure process, right? It's very different. You know, 20, 25 years ago when I left, it's like, okay, here's how you can update your resume and here's how you can try to find a job. It's very different now, certainly with, you know, social media and other things and all the connected world. But now companies are trying to make the connections with veterans before they leave so they can understand what the opportunities are and actually how they can get trained and grow into such these positions. And this is a kind of a, an initiative across by many companies, including Oracle, that we think is going to help for years to come. What can those of us like myself who don't come from the veteran community but see the opportunities that you're describing and of course are grateful for the service that our you know veterans have done and continue to do for our country, what can people like I, what can we do? I think it's really trying to help spread the word, right? And I say, you know, most of the big high tech companies, we all have public programs now for veterans trying to recruit veterans and really kind of sharing the word, right? You know, to the broader community and saying, hey, you need cybersecurity people. Hey, why don't you check out some of these veterans? Why don't you reach out to some of these companies? Making awareness that people that for veterans that you run across them in your communities that, hey, are you looking for opportunities? Why don't you go look at these? The other element is, I think, is helping uh, other business leaders to understand when you connect to them saying, wow, I hear you're having a hard time hiring talent. Have you looked at the veteran community? You know, and really kind of sharing that insight that people said, I never thought of that before. And I think you may help them with that. What would those resources be? Let's say someone does think that, okay, I should go look at the veteran community. How does someone who's desperately trying to fill any number of security jobs right now, where do they go look? Actually, there's a, a ton of different programs on the internet and things like that that are being publicized by the big high tech companies. And so just do a, a, I hate to say it, a Google search, right? And you'll find how many are, are looking and offering, you know, various internships, you know, training programs, onboarding. And I'll even say myself is, I if I could go back to myself, is like when I wanted to leave the military, it's like, all right, I want to go for work for Microsoft, right? I How am I going to get in? What's to do? I went and found out, say, wow, everyone's getting like the Microsoft certified system engineer, Microsoft certified professional. And I said, that's what everyone's looking for. Okay, I'm going to go get training, you know, out of my pocket to get it so I can get open the door for myself. Nowadays, I look at other things myself is not to promote any one company, but I said, gosh, if I want to get into cybersecurity, what can I go do? I'll go do, I'll find a Coursera course, right? Get my foot in the door, get, you know, introduced. There's Udacity or Coursera, there's many others, but you don't have to go get a college degree per se but you can go get kind of your initial training and then you can find a lot more opportunities opened once you have that basic level of training. Yeah, I like that advice. And that, that advice probably applies to anybody trying to enter the field for sure. One of the things that I run into a lot, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is so one of the ways I like to volunteer my time is to speak to students about what it's like to have a career in security, how to get into it, you know, tell parts of my journey, like how did I get into it? And one of the things I've noticed as I talk to these students is that there's this prevalent theme, I guess you could say, where 
people feel like, well, I might be in some sort of engineering track, but I can't quite do security because I haven't started yet. And everyone I know does security already knows everything. And I'm like, you're 17. What are you talking about? <laughs> you have more than enough time. Do you think that that self-limiting belief exists in the veteran community or no? I do think it's a natural, but at the same time, I think it's natural that the, it's kind of like the imposter syndrome. It's like, how can I go from, you know, X, I was working on airplanes to Y, I'm now going to be a cybersecurity expert, right? And it's about leaning in, right? It's about making that leap, right? It's that leap of faith. And I think it's very, very important, right? Get past the imposter uh, syndrome. You know, myself is like, how in the world did I ever get in? It's like, well, when I was on my last deployment coming back across the Atlantic on the Eisenhower, I bought, you know, Bruce Schneier's, you know, applied cryptography book and read it on the way back, the, you know, the week it takes us back, right? I just leaned in. I said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to learn. And guess what? It started to open up doors, right? And all it takes is for you to take that step forward, you know, just like Indiana Jones, right? In the movie, right? You take the leap of faith and you never know what opportunities will start to emerge immediately. Yeah, I love that. The power of learning, right? You, you read a book over a week and it changed the course of your life. That's, that's remarkable when you think about that. It's, it's almost too beautiful, right? In its simplicity. People might be listening and saying, oh, I'm studying this and I'm pursuing that cert and how do I do it? And it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is the combination of intent with action and just finding the right information that will help you pivot to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. And there's another element as we can go to the old school book of like never eat lunch alone, but things like nowadays we have, you know, with social media and other things, you've got to build a network, build a connection, right? But I always like to tell, you know, people that are trying to break in saying, okay, you, you want to make a connection, but you have no connections. We'll find someone, right? That's close to you nearby and saying, hey, I'll buy you whatever lunch you want. You know, just give me 10 minutes of your time of how I might be able to connect to your company or your discipline or some other area. I'll buy you a $50 lunch or, you know, and just give me 10 minutes. Now, will everybody accept that? No, but you're gonna get some accepts, right? You know, just because of that in a connection that you never had before. Now, just think about that. Even if you're not that well off, $50, but you got a major connections, wow, it'll pay itself off a hundred times over. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think humans are inherently wired to want to help each other. I mean, that's our like tribal instincts. Now, people who are inundated with types of requests, they're typically the ones who can't you know, accept all of them. One of the things that I've seen too, I'm curious if you've seen this be effective as well, but that, that works is to go to someone, you start with someone who's close that already loves you and ask that person for help. So maybe it's your parent or a cousin or somebody who would say yes to whatever the request is. And you go to that person and say, I'm, I need to meet this kind of person. Can you introduce me? And then they might know one person and they'll get it set up because they love you. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the art of influence, right? It's that the art of reciprocity, right? Is whatever it takes, find someone, right? Is that you can find someone, not everyone will turn you down for a $50 lunch or saying, hey, I'll have whatever you want delivered to your house. Just give me five minutes of your time, right? If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But the art as reciprocity, that's what it's all about. Win by influencing people. And that's how you get in. That, that sounds like a CISO right there. Win by influencing people. <laughs> is that a principle that as you're in your role as a CISO that uh, is something that helps you be effective? Well, 
I think of like everything, you know, I think in, in security and you know, program management, you know, and, and business, right? It's it's both the art and the science, right? You have to have both, right? And I'll say that myself is that you have to look at the human factors of things, right? And how you influence people, how you communicate, you know, uh, very, very important. At the same time, you know, it's the engineering. You have to be data-driven. It's the combination of both that wins. When you skew too far, you know, to one side or the other, it's a very difficult time, right? In, in, in various people. And I think that's important to, to, uh, to build out. One of the challenges that I've seen in security is that oftentimes you have these, you know, brilliant security professionals. And, and I truly think that our industry is filled with some of the smartest people in any industry. Of course, I have a bias. You do too, I'm sure. But, you know, these brilliant people sometimes have difficulty translating those technical talking points to things that matter to the business. I remember this example happened one time when I was talking with one of our security analysts and he was talking to me about why, how he got, you know, in a, in a piece of research, he got root. And I was really pushing him saying, okay, well, why does that matter? And at first he was like, well, we got root. What do you mean? That, that's really good. And I'm like, no, I know it's good, but why should anyone care? And that was a really fruitful discussion because now it's sort of changed from, well, I got root to, well, what's the impact to that? So how do we help anyone who's listening to this show, who's trying to communicate and trying to garner influence like you're talking about, and maybe has more of that technical bias to themselves, what's the advice to how they can better influence? I'd say two things, you know, one is certainly foremost is, you know, we could say, oh, yes, I'm going to get some, some more security education. I'm going to do a SANS course or I'm going to go on Coursera and I'll be technical. But at the same time, I think a lot of people forget, right, is that what got you here is not going to get you up to the next level, right? It's also the soft skills, investing in your soft skills, in, investing in your EQ, investing in your communication skills. And sometimes this could be education. Sometimes this could be training. Sometimes this could be coaching. But it, you have to equally invest in the those skills as you do as your technical skills, especially as you grow uh, grow up in the industry. The second thing I'd like to really bring out is sometimes it can't be just you. We think about people that are, hey, they're great openers. People are great closers. There's great people that are glue, but sometimes not everyone's everything. And therefore, this is when, you know, kind of the diversity of your peer group, your team, right? Sometimes you really want to partner with others who are the best communicator and how you collaborate and work together and having a joint message because they're the best communicator, you may be the best, you know, technical. And I think that's very, very important is how you rely upon and use your, your broader community, your broader team together to have the best impact on things. That's fascinating. I'm hearing you describe uh, essentially, I guess, teamwork, but the idea of pairing, you know, your own strengths and weaknesses with someone else's strengths and weaknesses that are complementary in order to achieve a common mission, a common outcome. Absolutely. And I think it's just like building teams in general. It's like, wow, should you have only hire senior people, right? Experienced people in a given area. That's nice. But often having, let's have some college talent because they bring in fresh ideas, fresh technology that you never knew existed anymore, right? Or, or is, is coming aboard or how you hire veterans, right? How you hire, you know, people from diverse experiences and diverse thinking, right? And how you build the collection of these is how you have the strongest possible teams. And it can be a very time, uh, come times where you may be the best communicator, but you know what? Myself, I'm not the world expert on Java. I rely upon experts. My teams did that part, and combined is how you can be most successful. Yeah, better together. I think that's that's a pretty pretty cool idea. So, how does one go about doing that? Let's say there's someone listening to the show, and let's say they're they want to be a CISO someday, but maybe they're earlier in their career right now, and they have one strength or the other. Maybe they're good at 
let's just say they're good good at communicating but maybe don't have the technical grasp as well how do they go about finding that partner somewhere in their organization or in another organization to help be that teammate for them well i think there's really three things is kind of one is everyone will first will say hey like find a sponsor right you know that the uber mentor that's going to pull you up along the way you know that will happen at the right time in the right place but don't focus just that you know one is you want a mentor and sometimes you may need multiple mentors right it's not just someone that's higher level than you but saying that if you need a mentor on your soft skills you need a mentor on your communication skills or you may need a mentor on your technical skills. sometimes you could have more than one on those specific areas when you need them. It's not just having one person for 10 years and that's how you're gonna be successful. That's one thing. The other one is, I'm a big fan of peer mentoring, okay? Is that sometimes where you can learn these other skills. So this is actually the most powerful and sometimes people find it the most dangerous, peer mentoring. Because you really have to expose yourself. You have to open yourself up to a peer, right? And saying that I'm challenged, I'm having challenge, you know, difficulties in exposing that. But they are the ones that are so close to you can help you through that. They have been through it themselves, yet they can keep that same confidence, right? In, 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 in guiding you, yet they're the closest to you versus somebody that was in it only five years ago and it just happens to be your mentor. That's a really interesting problem, I guess, that you've identified this idea that to get this peer mentorship, which I agree with you is a fantastic way to grow, it requires risk, right? You have to be vulnerable to a certain extent. But I, I have to believe that being vulnerable in that way to appear 100% of the, maybe nothing's ever 100%, but near 100% of the time will pay off because... I mean, unless your judgment of character is extremely bad and you're being vulnerable to people who are politically malicious against you, <laughs> barring that, it seems like every other moment of being vulnerable would only benefit. How does, how does one, I guess, am I right on that? Um, and if I am right, how does one figure out who to approach and be vulnerable in that way? I think it's part of it. It's not just about friendship, but someone that you have, you build the trust, right? That you can be open and transparent in a mutual way. And I think that's a big part of it is that peer mentoring is that they may not need something from you, but they may need it in the future, right? Or that you have done in the past and understand that someone that has the common values, right? That you retain or you have, that's the best way to have those conversations because then you can reciprocate over time, right? It may not be immediate. It may not be mutual right now, but it could be in the future. Yeah, we do this thing at our company, we call them fire talks. And it's basically where someone gets up in front of the rest of the company. And it's typically somewhat informal. Sometimes they're more prepared than others, but they basically get up and they say, here's the thing I just did in a project. And here's what I learned. And I want to like teach you about it. And then it creates this whole discussion. And what winds up happening is that everybody learns, including the person teaching it, because the best way to learn something is, of course, to teach it. And it's this amazing practice of peer mentorship where people are essentially teaching things to each other. We have the benefit that we've already set that up, but let's say someone's working in an organization where something that doesn't exist. How, what's a good way to go about starting on, on this process of peer mentorship? I think it's all about lead by example, right? Is how you open up and saying that, hey, that who needs help, right? You know, one of my philosophies is I think of, you know, in my role is like my mission is to make every person in my organization successful. It's not about me. It's about making them successful. If you're saying that, hey, John Smith, right, a developer in this particular area is struggling in getting something escalated or something, you know, the right format of a, you know, communication. I'm there to help, right? I'm not the best developer anymore, right? I want them to be the best of what they're, they're, they're good at and how I can help in those things. 
The other thing is like I'll say, I'll share back one of my first managers as I left the, man, the military and joined Microsoft many, many years ago. My manager says, hey, David, the most valuable people are the people that not just make themselves great, but who make others great. How those who make others successful are the most valuable people in the company. And naturally, when you really think about that, the people that, if you think about people are the best mentors, you know, and help others, doesn't everyone respect them? Doesn't everyone value them? Like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, go talk to John, right? He's amazing what he does. He helps so many people. He makes so many people successful in their projects. That's what you're there to do. Make other people successful. And that's how the businesses are successful. I love that. You're, you're tapping into a leadership principle that I certainly believe in, which is like my mission is to groom leaders who are capable of themselves grooming leaders. Because when you can do that, then your impact becomes exponential. And that's way more like I'm just one person. But if all of a sudden you create a capability, wow, that talk about a way to lead an organization. Uh, is that similar to what you're saying? Absolutely. Because I think it's that it's not just about you. It's about them. It's the good of the many, right? And that's our mission, right? And especially as you move up in your career. The first few years, of course not, right? But as you grow, that's what they're all about. Or that's what that's your mission. Right. Yeah, you just... I think tapped into something interesting, this idea that at some point in your career, it shifts from sort of developing yourself to the next level of de developing yourself requires that you're able to develop others. How does someone recognize they're at or approaching that inflection point? That's a really good question. I think that there's every point, I think, is when you think that when you realize you plateaued, right? The moment you're saying that, hey, I'm just turning the crank. I'm not feeling challenged anymore. I'm not feeling the friction and I could just do everything easily. That's the moment you have to take a step back saying, am I doing the right thing? Right. Am I actually advancing? Am I going where I want to do going where I want to go? And that's the uh, important element where you have to self-reflect be self-critical and sometimes seeking out, you know, those mentors, the peer mentor or other mentors and saying, I need some help really. Where am I really at? And what are my gaps? You know, I, I think one of my favorite things I used to, uh, to do is, or I still do to this day is at least once a month, whether you go to your mentor or your manager or others, you basically, you go for a, and seek out a piece of feedback that's going to sting. Okay. So it's going to sting. So you get the lump in your throat, right? Because those are the things that no one wants to tell you, but those are the most important things to know. And it's the things that you need to work on. And it could take three to six months, but they're the hardest things. And it's not, they're not easily expressed to you. Now, I never recommend doing this on a Friday because I'm, because you know what, you're going to, you're going to not sleep that well for that weekend, right? Do it on a Tuesday because Monday's always busy in our world, right? You do it on a Tuesday and guess what? You're going to lose some sleep. You're going to feel some pain, but then you know exactly what you need to do. And that's the friction. That's, you know, the, your mission is very crystal clear and you've got something to go after. And I think that's when we, we have our highest level of performance, when we have clear targets. Yeah, I like this. I, I like how you're describing this idea that a plateau is telling us something, or if we're feeling the lack of friction, it's telling us something. We've got we to start growing in a different way. I've witnessed many times where when people feel they arrive at that plateau, the inclination is to leave the company, is to say, oh, well, I'm no longer growing at this company. It's time to change jobs. And that does seem to track with typical tenure rates, right? You know, people might be at a company for whatever it is, three or four years, that's when they start to plateau. And they're like, oh, I guess that means I have to go to a different company. And that is a way to grow. Going to another company certainly is a way to grow. You learn all new everything. But sometimes it's better to actually stay with your current company, but grow in a different way. So when someone arrives at that plateau and they realize, okay, I need to either need to go get that painful feedback or whatever I need to do, 
how how should how should someone in that situation be evaluating the right way to go whether it's leave or to stay but grow in a different way at the current organization i think it's a really good question i think part of it is really self-reflecting on where do you want to go next right and you know where do you want to go next and where do you want to go long term right and then evaluating is again yourself against those two goals right is is that going to exist right at your company or not right you know certainly i think there's some people in certain areas of cybersecurity saying hey my company's small this is not the direction i want to go it's not ever going to exist at my company and so i love the company it's got lots of benefits but that's not what i want to be right i can even say a point in my career where where I actually stepped away from security for a little while as a Windows Server business, going great. They love me in it. I said, that's not my passion. That's not my, you know, what keeps me awake at night in a positive way, right? And so I said, I'm leaving that. I'm going to start over because go where your passion is. You know, I think go where your love is. Don't just focus on tasks, focus on what you love. And that will help you guide your decisions whether to stay at a company or not. Yeah, focus on what you love. It's funny that principle, it's, it almost feels not useful because it's like it doesn't feel believable i think a lot of people when they hear the follow your passion do what you love they're like yeah sure i mean i love eating pizza but i'm not gonna get paid to eat pizza right but what you're describing is no there are aspects to anyone's career that you love and pursue that is am i correct that's what you're getting at Absolutely. You know, certainly I spent a couple of years at Google. So like, like, I'm not passionate about search. I could care less about search being open and honest, but Google had an interesting opportunity in security. That's where my passion was. Right. And that's why I went there. Right. So many companies have more than one thing and just don't look at, you know, the individual area. You need also, you need to look around because the, there be, especially larger companies, there may be more than uh, initially meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I totally hear you. I, I did not realize this would be something that would catch up interest or passion for me, but I realized this problem around third-party risk management and how does how does a company manage its risk from all the different third parties, suppliers, vendors, software, like whatever they're partnering with that have access to now to their information, how do they keep that whole ecosystem secure? And I we started thinking about that recently. I was like, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily passionate about all aspects of that, but I'm super passionate about solving a problem that complex and that's super inspiring to me and so we, you know we went out we're building this software product to kind of like help solve that and that's exactly what you're saying right find an aspect to it and say you don't have to be passionate about every part but you find the part that gets you fired up and go after that Agreed. I think that you always want something that is, you know, there's friction, there's a challenge you've not accomplished before. That's what makes you, you know, so excited. That's what gives you the growth. And that's where you get the euphoria, right? It's kind of like, you know, being a skier. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not a black diamond skier, but like, you know, it's kind of like you go down a slope that's like, I'm not sure if I can get down this, but I could learn a lot. And when you get to the bottom, right, you may stumble a little bit along the way, the euphoria of like, when you accomplish that, right, when you learn from that, you accomplish it the first time, right? That's what it's all about. And that's, we. why do we do it? We want the euphoria. And we can do that with our careers and jobs as well. Take a new challenge, take on a new project, right? You're going to stumble. You're going to learn from it. It's not going to be perfect. But how does it feel at the end once you've been through it? Wow. You know, you, you can't put a price on it. Uh, I totally agree with you on that. It's like learning anything, right? It's going to kind of be hard at first and unpleasant. And then all of a sudden it's great. And that process is the journey is what makes it enjoyable, really, right? As you level up. I love it. Well, as our time comes to a close here, I want to ask you one question that's unrelated to anything we've talked about before. You are a very well-traveled person. I am planning an upcoming trip. Where should I go? 
what's the best place in the world for exploring cultures and cuisines and what do you like the best that you've done? I'm going to say two parts. Certainly, I, I you know, think of my my experiences, and I plan to visit you know 100 countries before I die. I've got 30 more to go. I'll say in Europe, I will say, despite the challenges that's going on right now with the crisis in the war with Russia and Ukraine, the Hungary Budapest is one of the most amazing cities I think in in Europe. Right, that is does not have the tourists and things like that, but that the culture, the music, the food is simply amazing. The other one I'll say that people adventurous, right, go to Antarctica, right, is you can get there in the exploration in the animals and wildlife. It's kind of like the the cold version of the Galapagos Islands, right? It, it's a once a lifetime experience, and I can highly recommend it. Antarctica is the absolute top of my list. I, I want to get to that for sure. So noted. It's on the. It's even more on the list now. So. David, thank you so much for spending some time with us together today. I learned a lot from you, and uh, I'm going to implement some of these ideas. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ted. I really enjoyed it. I hope we can meet up again. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody listening, if you want to learn more about what David's up to or request to appear on the podcast yourself, just go to tedharrington.com backslash podcast, and we'll catch you next time. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.